Welcome to a new episode of the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Today with me, we have Sonia Thompson, inclusive brand, coach, strategist, and consultant. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be updated every single Wednesday for a new episode with fantastic guests like this one today. Enjoy the show. Hey, Sonia, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for our chat today. Absolutely, you know, from uh, from someone that is doing like this on the side to a, po- a real podcaster like you, right? <laughs> that uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation, and uh, uh, we we've got to go more in detail also about like you know what what you're doing in terms of podcasting. But first of all, for everyone listening today, who is Sonia? What are you building lately? Sure. So um, I am all about making sure that more people um, feel like they have a place to belong. Um, whether that's at work or as consumers. I want people to feel like they have a place where they belong no matter where they are. But in terms of, you know, where I focus, um, I feel like I can help from their work in, as, as a consumer. I am an inclusive brand coach, strategist, and consultant. And I help brands and business owners um, attract and retain diverse consumers and talent um, specifically by helping them build an inclusive brand that makes more people feel like they belong. Um, and I've been doing this for um, a number of years now, um, and it's just more and more becoming important as we see that increasingly the consumer base is, um, as people, as individuals, we are increasingly becoming more and more diverse, and we are demanding that the brands that we engage with, the companies that we work for, are um, inclusive and diverse as well. So that's where I spend a lot of my time and energy, almost all of my time and energy these days um, as a business owner. Amazing. Yeah, I like when you say attract and retain, right? Because mm-hmm. both of them are important at the same time, right? It's uh, It might be sometimes difficult to attract, but uh, at the same time also like retaining people, right? So that is that is an interesting aspect I'm going to you know, dive in a bit later. But what, what, do you want to add something on that? Sure. And I think um, in, in marketing, a lot of times we'll use the term leaky bucket. Um, but we have, um, nobody wants to have a leaky bucket. You spend all this energy working to bring new customers in only to have them like, you know, leave them the first time. And it's the same thing from um, a diversity standpoint when people are trying to recruit talent. It's really expensive to hire somebody and to bring somebody in your team and to go through all that effort and then they not stay because the environment isn't one that they liked, um, it gets quite expensive. So the business case is definitely there um, from an inclusion standpoint. Not only is it the right thing to do, mm-hmm. but um, it makes financial sense um, and smart business sense. One, because it's expensive to not retain customers and talent, but it's also increasingly the way that people are using to grow. So yeah, important for on, bo- on many fronts. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you know, on this episode, we're going to go through everything that you're working on, on different aspects, right? Uh, not only the part of the brands and, you know, companies, but also on the social media, right? And influence money aspects. Uh, we as an agency, right, we mostly do influencer marketing. So I was really interested in having you today on the show to look at what is happening lately, right? Again, you know, not only on the brand side, but also on the creator side, right? Okay. Uh, and so, First of all, as I mentioned before, you do have a podcast called uh, Inclusion and Marketing, correct? Yes. That is yeah. the name of the podcast. Um, first of all, how, like, why did you start it? I mean, you already mentioned why that is important, but why do you think that a podcast like that was needed? Uh, and why did you choose it as your medium to communicate such an important message? 
Sure. Um, so inclusive marketing is really the term that um, is being used more and more to talk about what it is that I do. I think a lot of people have struggled with, what do we call this? Do we call this multi multicultural marketing? Do we call it ethnic marketing? And inclusive marketing is really a broader term that encompasses more of what it is that we're trying to do. Because yes, race um, is a big component of it. Ethnicity is a big component of it. Gender is. However, there are a number of degrees of diversity and inclusion. Um, there's age. Um, there is whether somebody has dietary restrictions. There's the language that they speak. Um, there are body size and type. Like, you know, their list goes on and on and on of the different types of inclusion that we need to think about. Um, there's disabilities, um, neurodiversity, et cetera. So from an inclusion standpoint, I thought that I wanted to include more people in terms of what it is that we're talking about, because the idea is that um, as we're talking about this from a marketing standpoint and from brands, um, they want to figure out what makes the most sense for who they're trying to reach. And using the term inclusion um, and marketing, I wanted to make sure that I'm tying those two concepts together because not everybody uses the terms inclusion inclusive marketing but people do understand inclusion because that's part of the terms diversity equity inclusion and belonging that we're using from a diversity standpoint people often think about that from an hr perspective um and of course people understand marketing and so i wanted people to really understand we're putting those two concepts together um in a way that helps them understand that they do need to work together for them to get the results that they're looking for over time. And is it like now an extension of what you were already doing? Like, uh, I guess you were already like doing blog posts and uh, maybe LinkedIn messaging and so on. Was it like an extension for you, like message to go out? Or is it like now your primary way to get connected with people? Is it part of the marketing that you're doing or... Yeah, it, it, this is, I wanted a way, so I was already um, creating content on these topics. I have columns in both Inc. and Forbes, and I write pretty consistently for them on the same topics, on inclusive marketing, on belonging, on customer experience. But those are platforms that I don't own, right? Um, and, you know, I can create content on social media, but I wanted a way to cover topics more in depth and long form. So for instance, on my ink column, um, they don't like the articles, they don't really want more than 800 words. And you can cover a topic in 800 words, but there's only so much you can do, right? So, and sometimes the things that, um, you know, you want to go through are more, the topics are much more complex. Um, sometimes I want to bring in guests. And so sometimes with these formats, there's a limit to how often you can talk about guests. Um, and how you refer to them or how you reference some of their concepts. With my podcast, it's a combination of both solo episodes where I'm teaching and going more in depth on the topic. And then there are other times wherever I'm bringing in guests because of course I'm not an expert in all things inclusive marketing and I can't be. Um, so I love to be able to bring in and talk and bring in experts on various specific topics um, so that we can go more in depth. And then because we've got this longer form content, we're able to really help tell stories, help, you know, um, help foster empathy and give people the information that they need to move forward on whatever the topic is that we're covering in that particular episode. Uh, so that's what I wanted to do um, primarily to have the outlet to go more in depth. 
two to have an outlet that I own <laughs> um, that is very specific to my brand. Um, and now I am expanding it um, to make the podcast a video podcast. So I produce it in both audio and video format. Um, and I'll be leaning more into YouTube um, in the coming months. I'm sort of ramping up now, as you know, like creating things in video format takes a lot of effort and work. It's not just as simple as, you know, um, slapping up. There's other things that you got to do. So um, starting to lean in more heavily on YouTube. So yes, audio and video, um, particularly having my own platforms to tell more stories are um, a ways that I'm really trying to lean in and educate people on this topic and give them, equip them with the tools that they need. Absolutely makes sense. And, uh, you know, especially on the video side nowadays, it's, it's, it helps for this convertibility, right? To people, to people that don't know you to find you, right? It, Absolutely. Right. And uh, on that, so let's talk about uh, social media for a second. So what is the current state, right, of the degree of representation in marketing on social media? Like, do you think there is, uh, are we struggling in that? And, and if so, how do we change that? Like, are there... Uh, I don't want to get into like frameworks and really on the theoretical side, but like practically speaking, how do we change the status quo of the, again, degree of representation in marketing and, you know, on social media nowadays? So it's better than what it was in terms of representation, but we still could improve, right? So um, since 2020, we've seen a lot of shifts in terms of how brands are showing up on social media. But there are nuances in how we can work through to continue improving. So um, there are a couple of things. Um, I was talking to someone recently um, on the podcast specifically about ways in which, because brands are using social as a way to attract new customers, out of ways to build more relationships with them and to connect with them on a deeper level, right? And a lot of times from a representation standpoint, it's all about helping people see themselves or who they aspire to be. If they see themselves, then they will, that gives them permission to continue and take the next step forward with you. And that next step could be watching more of your content, engaging with your content, or it could even be buying whatever it is that you're offering. Um, if they don't see themselves reflected, then they're going to go off in search of another option. Um, and this has happened to me several times and the person that I was talking to on my, on my, my show where we have been engaging on social, we might see a brand or a, a reel or a video or whatever post that we like um, from a creator or from a brand. And then we might click through the content and see like, what does it look like on their account overall? And it's like, oh, there's nobody who looks like me here. Maybe this content isn't actually for me. And it's frustrating because a lot of times, increasingly, we're making buying decisions on social media. So there have been, you know, times where I've been like ready to buy something, but then I scroll through the account and I'm like, oh, this product, even though it has the need that I'm looking for and it solves a problem that I'm looking for, they don't really intend to solve it for me. I don't feel like I belong here. Uh, so the idea is that one, you want to make sure that with your social media, the visuals that you're putting forth at a minimum um, need to be reflective of the people you want to serve, the customers with various different identities that you want to serve. Because the reality is that the customers you serve, the people who have the problem that your brand solves, 
they have different identities, right? Um, and the more you're able to reflect those identities in your social media and the visuals, the more they're going to be able to say, oh yeah, this product is for me. Um, and they're going to feel like they belong. And a simple way to do that is if you're showcasing your customers, do you have a broad customer base or you can showcase testimonials? These are some examples of some people who have used my product um, to success or that we've they've served. If people are able to see others who are like them or who they aspire to be, that's one step that forward that they can move, move with. Um, another thing that you can do is collaborate with others. Um, collaborate with others who are different from you. Um, that shows cases on your accounts specifically that it's not just one type of person um, who this brand is for. Um, from an influencer standpoint, utilize influencers from various different identities, not just to, um, you know, we don't want to just hire influencers or work with influencers just to reach the audience of the community that they're a part of. You want to make sure that you're using them overall and it's part of your overall message um, that demonstrates that you're not doing it just to check a box to meet the needs of our particular community, but you are inclusive overall and they're really infused into the way you operate, the way you show up on a regular basis. Um, and then one other thing that you can do, and I, I find that um, sometimes brands who are more solopreneurs or they have one person who's the face of the brand, they might struggle with this a little bit because they feel like, well, of course all my content is going to look the same. I'm one person, right? And I can't change the way I look and that might not connect. And that's there are other ways that you can showcase or demonstrate that other people who may not look like you belong. That is through your collaborations. That is through the types of content that you or references that you talk about. Um, there were there's something that I saw recently on this whole trend on Harry Potter, right? Um, where um, Harry Potter, you know, the the author, she's in the UK. It's set in the UK, um, but there were a number of customers or readers of Harry Potter who were like diehard fans who were black and they didn't necessarily see themselves represented in the content. So what did they do? They reimagined the content um, of what would happen if Harry Potter was set in an HBCU, a historically black college and university. And they basically were just kind of going through and creating all this user generated content that demonstrated how big of fans they were and that inserted themselves into the conversation into the narrative and wouldn't it have been great if the author like sort of you know retweeted or um you know posted some of what was going on just to showcase that yeah like i see you i recognize you um i'm not changing who i am but i'm just acknowledging that you are part of the community um and i want to demonstrate and showcase that um i welcome you and I, that you do belong here so those are just some simple things that you can do that can really go a long way in terms of representation and making the broad group of customers that um, you serve feel seen and like they do belong with you. Hey, quick break. This podcast is hosted by the Influencer Marketing Factory. We are an influencer marketing agency that helps brands and companies engage with Gen Z and millennials on social media. We take care of influencer identification, storytelling, creativity, negotiation, contracting, campaign management, error analysis, in-depth reporting, code and boosting, and much, much more. Are you interested in learning more? You can find us at theinfluencermarketingfactory.com or you can Google The Influencer Marketing Factory. Um, amazing example that you brought on on that, like it's uh, 
it's interesting, right? As you said, like there are certain books and movies and so on, right? That have been built in a certain way, but that doesn't mean that you can, you know, recreate it, right? Uh, and having that representation that you might look for. So that that was absolutely an interesting one, right? To uh, look at. What, was it like uh, like something that because I know that Harry Potter has been brought like many times in the past like twenty years, right? So is it something that uh, have you been like happening many times? Or was it mostly like a like an event that just like uh, with a spike lately or like because it's interesting, no, to know like. Yeah. Um, I I think this probably bubbled up in February, and probably okay. because in February is Black History Month in the U.S., mm-hmm. and that just might have been an opportunity for more people. Now, what we have been seeing in the past couple of months, in the past year, are more and more um different storylines and characters from iconic classics, like we've seen it in Disney with like Ariel and the Little Mermaid. They're being reimagined or updated, and now they're having more inclusive characters. Last week, um, my husband and I, um, we were with my daughter in Disney Springs. Um, so basically, it's just like the shopping center outside of Disney, but um, it's in Orlando. So we were in this big, giant Disney store, and I saw that some of the Disney princess characters had been reimagined as black characters so we saw cinderella we saw rapunzel i can't remember the other two but um uh little red riding hood i believe and they were all reimagined as um as if they were black and i thought that was super cool to do a nice twist on an existing um character that we all we all know and love and just make it so more people can see themselves reflected um and there are simple ways that we can do that in in our products um, always great if you can think about different identities, incorporate them in the storylines from the beginning. But if you can't, if you a, a simple way to do it on um, the back end of something that's already created is to reimagine what that looked like so more people can be seen as well. Especially if you're a kid, right? You want to find heroes, right? You yeah. want to find someone that can be, you know, aspirational and inspirational, right? And if you find someone that is like more like you, right? Uh, you're like, I can also like, you know, like do it like you know right there is a different type of uh, motivation right sometimes also for you get influenced right by different people but especially at the young age that is where your brain get a lot of information and you want to have representation the most possible there right absolutely so we saw this play out a little bit with the super bowl that um happened um in february where um at halftime rihanna's um asl interpreter for american sign language um, she went viral for her performance of as she was accompanying her and the people who were talking about um, the representation of just seeing her so prominently, seeing her so much throughout social media, um, what that did for people who were part of that community and people with sign language who use sign language as means to communicate, that representation was super meaningful for them. Um, and it was also brought a lot of awareness for people who wanted to learn sign language. I believe I saw a stat that said that um, searches um, after she went viral um, for sign la- how to learn sign language went up like 800%. <laughs> so it just shows the power of inclusivity and what that means and what it can do, um, not only for the people who are parts of those communities who are used to being underrepresented, but for the awareness that it can bro- and provide um, for the community at large. Very, very, very interesting. I didn't know about that data. So thank you for sharing that. And, uh, you know, talking about, again, you know, brands and so on, we said before that, you know, there are certain months, for example, for, you know, um, 
there is more awareness, right? But sí. how do we move, right, from months, right, to the everyday, right? How, how can brands actually can really embrace uh, real inclusivity, right, uh, in, in their culture, right? So again, something that is genuine and not just, again, to acquire more customers uh, for one month and that's about it. What are the best uh, way to go for bigger brands, smaller brands? Uh, what would you recommend? It's really about making inclusivity a part of your brand's DNA. Mm -hmm. It has to be a part of your values. Otherwise, business will change, what's popular will change, and then it just kind of becomes maybe too much of a burden or you revert back to the way that things have always been done. I'll give you an example. I follow a gluten-free diet for health reasons. And last night, um, we ordered takeout um, and I went to pick it up and we, we ordered hamburgers and french fries, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm calling it in. It's from a restaurant that we often go to. It's very close. And um, I've been like so happy that this restaurant, um, the, fr the french fries are cooked in a separate fryer so that they're good for gluten-free people. They're not cooked in the same fryer as like the chicken fingers that are full of wheat. They're not cross-contaminated, et cetera. Um, being able to go and, you know, order a hamburger that has a gluten-free bun and get and actually have French fries versus like ordering mashed potatoes, et cetera, or broccoli. Um, and the, love mashed potatoes and bro broccoli, but sometimes you just want hamburgers and fries, right? Um, so for whatever reason, whenever I called the order in last night, I just confirmed, Hey, the fries are, are gluten-free, right? Like just out of paranoia, I just wanted to verify. And she's like, Ooh, no, actually we they're no longer gluten-free. Um, I was like, what happened? And she's like, we changed the, they changed the recipe of the fries and, um, they're no longer cooked in a gluten-free fryer. And I said, okay. And so, and, and the fact is they're actually not even gluten-free anymore because potatoes are naturally gluten-free, mm -hmm. but they've changed the recipe and they've now put like flour on the fries. And she's like, people overwhelmingly love the new flavor. And so I, you know, sent a message to my sister and, um, who's also follows gluten-free diet for health reasons. I'm like they changed the fries because she also likes to go there. And I was just thinking about it enraged, right? <laughs> Um, because somebody might say, it's not a big deal. It's just French fries. And I'm like, they changed the recipe because people who don't have any dietary restrictions love them, but now we can't have them anymore. So for some, for us, you know, we often frequented this restaurant because they catered to us as gluten-free people. Now that's not the case anymore because they decided that it was more convenient or more popular to cater to the preferences of the masses who don't have this issue. So for me, it really was, it felt like you didn't include inclusion in serving people who have this particular dietary restriction wasn't something that was part of your values because you left us without an option, right? Like you could have still kept a um fries that were cooked in a separate fire that didn't have wheat on like you could have done that and still provided two options um or you could have just said all right like maybe these are a limited time these particular fries but now you're completely taken away this option for us and it just felt like we didn't matter 
um, we felt like an afterthought. And I think that that happens a lot of time whenever it's convenient, um, whenever it's politically correct, whatever that's operating a news cycle, brands kind of lean into inclusion. But the minute it feels like there's an opportunity um, to cater to the masses in a more broad, broader way, it's like we'll just kind of leave the people who are from these underrepresented and underserved communities and they'll have to fend for themselves and blah, 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 blah. And that doesn't feel like a brand that is inclusive and committed to serving a particular community. And that's really is at the heart of an inclusive brand where they're making a commitment to serve a particular community and they're doing it over the long haul, not only whenever it's convenient, not only whenever um, everybody else is doing it. They're, they're doing it because they want to make sure that they feel seen and like they belong and they want to serve their needs. And there are, so as brands are thinking about how can we serve different communities and truly be authentic about our inclusion it, and, and making them and including them overall and how we're serving them, it really comes down to the values. And because the values aren't going to be something that is thrown away, it's not going to be something that you're going to be changing every six months. Um, you're always going to come back to is what, how we're operating, is how we're showing up, are the products and services that we're offering and the experiences that we're delivering, are they in keeping with the values that we have set forth? And if inclusion is one of your values, um, then it underscores and really helps um, you make decisions that will be that will make more sense and that will help you serve your your customers in a way um, that doesn't feel like one week it's this, the next week it's something different. And and so that was like an example of something that you shouldn't do, but. Can you share with us any successful like case studies of maybe specific companies or brands uh, that were able to understand that it's not just a one-off type of activity, but it's part of their brand DNA? Is there anything that you want to share or that you can share with us? Today? Yeah. So Rihanna's brands overall, as we're talking about Rihanna from her Super Bowl, but um, she's got Fenty Beauty. She's got Savage X Fenty. She's got uh, Fenty Skin. And she, I love using her as an example because inclusion truly is baked into their dna whenever they launched fenty beauty they launched with 40 shades of makeup to accommodate women of or people with different complexions all around the world now that um previously there are a number of makeup companies right um and they never offered so many shades but now 40 shades is the standard for beauty companies period right um not just for fenty beauty so they established that inclusion is the way to go um but they didn't do it because oh this is going to help us sell more it's just this is we want to we want to make sure that we are able to serve as many people as possible um and we're going to make this available um with her lingerie line um they include different shapes they include different um body types of course they whenever you're looking at the models and the people that they're including in their fashion shows you're going to see um, different degrees of abledness. You're going to see different sexual orientations. Um, you see that inclusion runs the gamut through and through, not only through the way in which they show up with the products that they're producing, but in their marketing as well. It's very much infused and you never see them wavering or um, 
it, it always feels very much true to who they are as a core, as a brand. Um, another brand that has been doing this well is Target. Um, Target, um, if we think about what they're doing for Black History Month, what they do for Pride Month, what they do for various heritage months, um, they very much focus on um, serving the different communities, but they lean heavily into their teams, their internal team and their employees to help them curate products that are going to be featured during these various celebration months. Um, they very much focus on ensuring that they've got diversity throughout their teams that are representative of the customers that they've served. And they very much are leaning into supplier diversity. So it's not just about serving these communities and getting them as customers or getting them as employees. It's making sure that we're putting products who are built, um, made by or founded by um, people who are part of the communities that we want to serve, that we're actually putting them front and center in our stores as well. Um, so they've covered a lot of different bases um, and from in terms of what it is they're trying to do. One other company that I love um, in terms of their commitment to inclusion um, is Unilever. Um, so Unilever, um, and they're a very big brand with a bunch of, very big company with a bunch of different brands, but I believe it was for 13, 14 years in a row. Um, they have been um, identified or certified as like one of the best places to work for people from the LGBTQ plus community. Why have they been certified or, you know, uh, identified as one of these best places to work? Because they've got policies that support. So it's not just about having people on our team. It's providing the policies that demonstrate that um, we want to make sure that we serve you, that we make sure that you're able to thrive here, not only at work, but in life as well. Um, and so it just goes to show that it's not just about the campaigns they're producing to get people um, buying more of their products, but they're supporting them holistically throughout the entire experience, both externally and internally. And do you think, so great examples, first of all, you know, uh, both of them are, are big companies, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, all of, the, all of them, right? Because Rihanna has been booming, right, with their products, uh, targeted, just huge in favor right. of the team, right? They have like so many sub-brands. Uh, um, so first of all, actually I have two questions based on okay. that. First of all, um, is it like, is it easier or more difficult, like for bigger brands, for example, to make such a different, like, you know, change and shifting their mission. And secondly, have you noticed if there is any specific uh, type of verticals uh, where you have been finding like uh, more diversity and inclusion, or do you think that nowadays it is spread out on different verticals? Like, you know, like, is it more like, first of all, more mostly beauty and fashion because, uh, you know, it's a bit easier sometimes to also communicate uh, to the to the to the general public, or or do you think there is something that also other verticals, no matter what their type of industry they're working in, they can actually easily uh, or not easily include these uh, in in the next future? Sure. Um, so going to your first question, I think it's actually harder for larger companies to fully embrace mm -hmm. um, diversity, inclusion, belonging because they might have a long history, a track record. Um, that they have to work on changing and adapting their reputation if they didn't launch that way um, or if they didn't, you know, sort of if they weren't um, doing that from the very beginning. And also they have might have a couple of things, a lot of things that they have to fix. So um, let's say, for instance, Unilever, um, another one of the things that they did recently or the past couple of years was they removed the word normal from all of their packaging. 
because they found for all their beauty products and personal um, personal care products. They did that because they realized that using the word normal made people who needed something that wasn't labeled normal feel it impacted negatively the way they felt about themselves. Making something, a change like that worldwide, and place your total supply chain, um, that was a major investment that they had to make, even though they've got them. It still costs a lot, right? Um, smaller companies, smaller brands can make adjustments and changes that may not have such that big impact. And people may not necessarily be so um, watching so much to see what is this company doing? What is this brand doing? So if you make adjustments and changes to your marketing into your team as a smaller company, the impact very much can be felt. You can pivot, you can make adjustments um, much more quickly and the impact um, is felt probably much more quickly among the people that you're serving, the people that are engaging with your brands. It's not something that always has to be such a major over um, undertaking um, where you're trying to move um, and make adjustments to something that's existed for a while. Um, and from the second question that you had, I don't think that there's necessarily any specific verticals that makes it easier um, or harder. I think where some of the examples that seem to be more prominent, like we're seeing things happen in the beauty in industry, for instance. However, there's still a long way to go in the beauty industry, right? Um, but from an inclusivity standpoint, I think more and more as brands are starting to embrace and because consumers recross um, all different verticals, right? And as people are starting to see um, as consumers, for instance, that brands are being inclusive in one area, we're not as consumers compartmentalizing it. We don't think of it in terms of like, oh, this exists in the beauty industry. It becomes our expectation across the board, right? So if you're calling a customer service line and um, you are accustomed to hearing on the customer service line, you know, them saying press two to hear this message in Spanish. You're not thinking, oh, this only exists in banking. This only exists in um, electronics, right? It's your expectation that's going to be across the board. Um, so, and that goes for visual imagery that you're seeing. It goes for um, whether or not you are incorporating um, captions and making them available in your videos to make them more accessible for people who might um, have some type of um, disabilities or impairments or etc. Like I think more and more it's becoming the expectation of consumers. Um, they might give a little bit of leeway if you are a smaller company, but increasingly they want um, brands to be um, inclusive across the board if they're going to be giving you their money. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I was mostly asking just to know if there was any sort of pioneers, right? Because of course they should be across all the different industries, but is as in any uh, thing that, you know, start maybe a bit slower than expected that sometimes you might find certain verticals because of the nature, right, of their vertical. Right. And then they help as pioneers, right, to actually making them the standards for all the industries, right? So my question was mostly like if uh, you identified anyone that was, uh, you know, uh, I would say, again, one of the first, like, you know, starting uh, that did a good job in that. And again, if there were any specific verticals that other verticals should look at as a good example, 
where to start? It's less about verticals and more about companies, right? Because I wouldn't say that necessarily this industry has really got it, right? I think that there are probably more and more certain companies within industries who are getting better, but there isn't necessarily one industry that like, yeah, like, you know, we've gotten it. Like, so we look at a brand like Ben and Jerry's, Ben and Jerry's um, has been notable in their um, how vocal they are on social justice issues. And they've got a degree, a number of social justice issues that they are engaging with. Um, every brand, of course, isn't going to be like Ben and Jerry's or doesn't need to show up the way that they do, but they're in the ice cream industry. Then you're going to look at Patagonia. They're in um, apparel, right? Like they're doing different things and they show up differently. So I think it's more of you have different companies who are leaning into their values as it relates to inclusion and that causes them to show up in a different way. And they're some of the standouts. Um, and then that way, but it's not necessarily that one industry in a whole has done a good job. Yeah. You, you know what I mean now? Like, you know, exactly. And maybe actually it's good, like having different type of companies from vertical so we can get maybe the best, right. Of yeah. all of them. Right. And trying to create a sort of like, you know, standardized framework where, where we can learn from it. And based on that, so. For the brands listening today, again, bigger, smaller, you know, like mid-sides, uh, how would you guide them, right, in this important mission to, uh, uh, how do you start? Like, again, I know that we said that before, and it might not be a one-fit-for-all, right? Like, each company is different, different approaches, different year key inside, different history, right, as a company. But if you had to guide them, like, uh, are there steps uh, to look at? So we said before, for example, sort of like identify your DNA, the type of personas that you want to reach, uh, the target, and so on. Uh, but again, like, guide me on that, please. Like, what are the initial steps that a brand should look at? And uh, and then after the first steps, like, what what is the best journey to, to start? Sure. First off, I always recommend that it's really helpful to make sure that you're starting with your values. And if inclusion is something that, whatever it's diversity, inclusion, belonging, if it's something that hasn't been a part of how your company launched or how your brand launched, um, and it's something that you're still working towards, you need to find a way to infuse it into your values so that it stays front and center and it becomes something that in, is infused into the way in which you operate and your brand works. Um, it infused into how everyone on your team is, um, the way they show up to do their job. Um, the way they're reviewed, et cetera, and held accountable. Um, whenever it's a part of your values, that means that it's going to be something that's going to stay there and it influences just how you as a company show up and it's your ethos. Um, so if that isn't there, I encourage you to start and figure out a way to incorporate it there. Um, the next is an important component is figuring out what type of inclusive brand you want to be. Um, and like I mentioned before, you have brands like Ben and Jerry's, I call them a social justice warrior. Um, we've got companies like Rihanna's different brands. Um, they are, they're, they want to include everybody. We've got brands, um, like Char, um, for instance, they make gluten-free, um, food, right? Like, so they specifically cater to the gluten-free community. Um, and then you've got other ones who, we don't cater to a very specific community, but we've only got certain amount of resources. So we want to make sure that we are going to serve, um, you know, people from like focus on these different types of communities because that's where our heart is. That's where our resources can be able to support. So it's just figuring out 
for you, for your company, what makes the most sense for you in terms of your personality, of your brand type, of how you want to serve? And that can really kind of guide you and then to the next part of it, which is figuring out who are the customers that you're going to serve. So I want to be very clear, inclusive marketing isn't about serving everybody. And it's about being very intentional about who you will serve and those various identities and who you're not going to serve. Um, so it goes back to um, being just very choiceful. So Rihanna, for instance, wants to serve everybody. You might decide, oh, you know what? We're only serving English speakers um, or we're only serving English speakers and Spanish speakers. That's the only thing that we can focus on right now. You might decide that, you know what? From our brand, we want to be very clear about making um, sure that people from different racial um, ethnicities and identities feel like they belong here. Or we want to make sure that people who are um, from the disabled community or people who are from the LGBTQ plus community, like it's a matter of, because there's different things that you would do to support each of those communities to make them feel seen and like they belong. So you have to make choices because if you don't make those choices, it's very easy to make none of those groups feel seen in what it is that you're producing or like they belong. Um, my husband is from Argentina. And whenever we moved to the US, and even actually whenever we were living in Argentina, um, it was very clear about the different brands who are making choices about we are serving people who um, speak different languages. So, but those decisions had to be made early on. So whenever we came here and he got his phone, right, he was able to um, quickly go in and set his phone up and everything was in Spanish because the company at some point made a decision that the people who have this problem are going to speak different languages. So we need to be able to set this, you know, service up or this product up so that people who speak different languages can use it seamlessly. Right. Um, and it just goes a matter of being very choiceful about who are the people that you want to serve with those like, communities. And then that kind of flows to every decision that you're going to make afterwards in terms of um, the products um, you, that you're going to serve, um, the, the, um, way in which you're going to show up, the policies that you're going to make within your company. Um, we're in, um, it's, we're moving into a season right now where I think it's Ramadan for people who are part of the Muslim community. Um, we're, I think we're in Lent for people who are in Catholic, right? Um, Easter's coming up, Passover's coming up in April, right? We've got a number of different um, holidays based upon different people's religions. And more and more brands are starting to acknowledge that, hey, people have different religions and they're using that in um, or adapting or making communications that um, are acknowledging that people have different religious observances. And some companies are even adjusting their internal policies to account for that, because sometimes the way in which people observe their different religions are different and it impacts the way in which they show up and work or when they come to work etc so it's about making sure that you're choosing who are the people what are the identities that you want to make sure that you're serving and then everything else can sort of flow from there amazing really good uh i would say like you know starting point right and and uh, and i like also like you know that Everyone, right, can, as, as we said before, like, you know, can start a journey that might take a bit longer for some people. Some others, it's like in their DNA from day one. So that is good. And, uh, and also like, you know, just wrapping on, on the episode, but uh, you said at the beginning, so 
it's better than before. It can still, you know, getting better, right? Of course. So any last closing like remarks on, on, on these uh, as a, as a, as a topic, like overall, like, is there anything else that you want to add before we finish the episodes? Uh, that might be either like a sort of recap of everything that we just said or something that maybe I didn't ask you today that I think that people out there should know. I think the, the biggest thing is where it cuts that a lot of people sort of, um, that prevents them from getting started or from going too deep is a nervousness that they're going to make a mistake that's going to get them canceled, right? Um, they're nervous to offend. They're nervous to get something wrong. And what I just want to encourage you is that mistakes are part of the learning process. So as I mentioned before, um, I, I spent some time living in Argentina and um, whenever I started traveling through South America, um, I had to tell myself that as I'm learning Spanish, I have to give myself permission to make mistakes. Um, and years later, like I said, my husband is from Argentina. He speaks Spanish. We communicate in Spanish only, right? And I make mistakes every single day, all day. And if I had let um, the thought about I need to be perfect out of the get-go um, to get started or to even, you know, continue going, I never would have started. I never would have learned. Um, and if you think about the deeper degree of intimacy, the deeper the relationships that you build with the people that you're going to serve, you're going to learn more about what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And as you start to build relationships with them, if you do make a mistake, they will let you know, hey, this didn't work so well. This wasn't the right thing to do. But the relationship, but they're going to see that you're trying and that you're trying to um, make progress and they'll see your heart associated with it. But that only comes if you are working towards it and you get over the fact that it has to be perfect because that's going to keep you from probably moving forward. So that's just an encouragement. No matter where you are, no matter what your track record has been in the past, you can make progress moving forward as you commit to it and understand that it does not have to be perfect. It just means to be a commitment that you're making to a community that they can see and feel over time. Love the message. Sonia, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. This was a really important uh, you know, topic for, uh, for me, for, for, we also like, you know, as, as an agency, as a company, uh, really believe in that. So I wanted to have an expert, right. Talking about that because it's important to go also in the ins and outs, right. Just talking generally it's something, but going more in detail, I think it's, uh, it's quite important, right. To talk more about it and, and get, uh, start and acting on that. And uh, as you just said, step by step, as I think to be perfect, right. Right. But you have to start somehow, right. Absolutely. Uh, amazing. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. This was the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. I'll see you next week.